0: here with my new friend all the way from sydney australia this is ikai t say hello ikai
1: hey good morning everyone
0: (laughs) good morning for you it's currently a nine o'clock p.m where i am
1: it's 11 here in sydney i it is a great morning today how are you ellen
0: oh i'm doing great i'm so glad to be talking to you i'm really excited so um you are the first ichthyologist that i've talked to i think probably not just on this show but like ever. I don't think I've ever spoken to an ichthyologist before. So I would really like it if you kind of introduced yourself and your work and how you got into ichthyology.
1: That's, a, that's a, I guess that's a great honor for me. So yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm a systematic ichthyologist. So I study fishes and kind of work out how they relate to each other in the bigger kind of evolutionary context, um, how they relate to each other in in a genus level or a, fam- or a family level, so I work on phylogenetic relationships. I also do taxonomy, which is describing and naming new species. So a big component of my research involves um, that. So all together I kind of um, yeah consider myself more um, of a systematist in a way, where I yeah, combine my taxonomic research as well as my phylogenetic uh, interest in kind of resolving the evolutionary history of fishes. Uh, more specifically, I work a lot of rasses, which is what we're going to be talking about today.
0: Yes. And I have followed your work that you post a lot on social media, your your pictures of the rasses, and they are mm-hmm. so incredibly diverse. Yeah. Like, there is a lot going on with rasses.
1: They are. They're so beautiful. They are. So they're the second largest family of fishes in the marine context. So they they ranked just behind the, the gobies. Um, there are over 630 species of wrasses, and they are one of the most successful families out there. Um, and they're known not only for their impressive you know, array of coloration and form, but also in their morphological diversity, diversity functional specialization, and their ability to exploit uh, novel trophic guilds. They just really are such a specialized group of fishes, if you can think of anything that's edible on the reef, there is a RAS family, there's a, a RAS genus out there that specializes in eating that particular thing. They're, they're just so good at what they do.
0: And that makes sense because the habitat that they live in is so diverse and so varied, right? So there's like a lot of opportunities there for specialization.
1: They are, yeah. So one of the mo- one of the more interesting, I guess, groups of wrasses are the parrotfishes because they are herbivorous, but they eat algae that's grown kind of like on the surface of rock and coral, and also algae that grows inside of coral. So uh, things like zooxanthellae, symbiotic algae and stuff. So they have these really kind of incredibly robust fused teeth that kind of looks like a beak, like a bird's beak, which is how they got the name parrotfishes. And they use these to kind of crush up coral and rock, and then kind of just digest everything and extract the algae inside of their digestive system which is also very long and um, wonderfully adapted to processing these kinds of food. And then they kind of like excrete out on the other end, find particulate matter like sand and other, you know, bits of the coral and rock that they can't digest. So they kind of fill this really, really important ecological niche on coral reefs, exploiting kind of a novel resource that not many fishes are able to, to utilize. Um, and on the other hand, you know, majority of the races are carnivorous. Um, and you have a wide variety of, of specializations even within that class. So you have wrasses that are kind of predatory and they eat little fishes. Uh, one of the more notable examples is in the sling jaw wrasse, Epibulus incidiator, which has a really incredible, um, sophisticated mouth which lunges out like a little suction tube. I, I guess you can look this up on the on the internet after this. Which then they used to suck up little prey. And I guess you also have this other group of very specialized uh, carnivores known as the the cleaner rasses,
0: yes, this is the one type of rasasse that I know about like that that i'm I'm kind of familiar with yeah. I love these.
1: They're really, really cool. They, they, I like the parrotfishes. They, pr- they provide a really essential service on coral reefs, uh, and they hang around little bombies and little, um, you know, bits of coral uh, and what we call cleaning stations. And they advertise themselves, you know, with a little cute little wiggly dance, and they're very distinctive colours. And fishes come and they just lay on their sides, and the cleaneresses will come and and pick off little, um parasites or dead skin, mucous tissue, and, you know, and, and and really they provide such an important service and, and they are obligate parasitivores, So they only eat stuff that they find off fishes. So they don't really kind of, you know, go on the reef and, and kind of look for food in, in, in other ways. So really, whatever you can think of, there's there's a, a group of wrasses out there that are just really so good at doing what they do. It's, it's really remarkable.
0: I love that so much. So that that's my first time hearing of something being an obligate parasitivore. Like, I I haven't heard of an animal that only eats parasites. That's really, really cool. So when you said that they like advertise themselves with these flashy colors and, and their little wiggly dances, do they have to like compete with each other? Is it like, have you ever seen those people that on the side of the road will like advertise businesses by like spinning signs and doing dances and stuff? Like, is it like that where like, where the fish are competing with each other for like attention?
1: In in a way, so rasses are. I would say all rasses are kind of. They're very social animals. They live in you know loose groups anywhere between two to tens or more. Um, so often these cleaner rasses, you know, live in their own little harem where there's uh, multiple females and a male, and they they kind of just hang around socially. They're not really competitive in that way. But because they provide such a great service, um, there are many fishes on the reef that actually mimic uh, the cleaner ass. So cleaner asses, yeah, so cleaner (laughs) asses, there are are a handful of species, about half a dozen of them, I think, maybe just slightly less. Uh, And they're all unique in having kind of this Dr. Fish colour scheme, which is kind of bluish, a bit of yellow, and then this horizontal black stripe across the body. Um, And there are a couple of blennies that mimic the cleaner so very well-known example is the Blenny espidontis, the fang-tooth blenny, uh, and Plagiotremus. Um, they're all fang-tooth and so they mimic the coloration and the behavior of these cleaner asses And when a little fish comes up to them, um, hoping to get clean, they actually take a bite out of the fish and swim away with a, a free meal, so to speak. So that is just how important the cleaner asses are on the reef. Is they're, they're so good at doing what they do that other fishes copy them. And exploit their behavior for their own gain.
0: That is so dirty. That is it so is. underhanded.
1: <laughs> it, it is, but it's it's a really effective strategy, as you can as you can imagine.
0: Yeah, I mean, hey, it clearly is is has been working well enough that they have adapted that way, and I like the idea that that you mentioned. There's this like a a coloration that signals that that is that fish's role. It's like to us, you know, we we have certain symbols that indicate to us, oh, this is like a doctor, right? You've got like maybe like a red cross on a white background. Yeah. So like it's the same like kind, sort of visual cue. Yeah. Is this like a common thing for other fish that have like certain roles that like there will be a certain pattern or a certain visual cue that indicates its like role in the ecosystem?
1: So um, that, yeah. Well, so one thing that fishes are able to do that most, well that we can't, is that they can see colors that are not on the visible spectrum. So they can see colors in ultraviolet and they, they can also see colors in infrared Um, And this is really interesting because rasses, as you know, they're they're really, really colorful. They're they're really, really flashy, um, beautiful uh, animals on the reef. And this becomes particularly interesting when you look at the context of um, sexual reproduction and kind of all the the fancy jazz that happens on on the coral reef scene. So the particular group that I work on, so I forgot to mention at the start, I'm a PhD student at the University of Sydney. Uh, I'm working on my thesis now, which is the evolution and diversification of the fairy wrasses. They're the second largest genus of the wrasses. Uh, there are 61 valid species, so about 10% of all the wrasses known are fairy wrasses. Uh, and they're beautifully, beautifully ornamented fishes. Um, and vision and color is a really important aspect for the life of a fairy wrasse because they're very socially haremic. So a male fairy ras will live in a group comprising anywhere between 2 to 20 or even 30 females. And oftentimes there are so many different species living on the same reef. We call that sympatry. So multiple species overlapping in the same area. And the females are all kind of rather dull looking. Well, I won't say dull, but they're not as flashy as the males. They're kind of just single single-coloured, tiny little fishes, kind of like more pink or orange suffused. And the males are the ones that are just really incredibly colourful. And some of them have really elaborate ornamentations on their fins, like um long extensions on their dorsal fins or just like really big petal-like pelvic fins. And so the males engage in what we call uh, a nuptial display every day during um, a few hours before the sunsets, and he flashes these really iridescent, beautiful colors to attract the attention of the correct female species so that they can reproduce and and, and spawn. So it's this really strong signal in coloration that is what we think Is driving the evolution of fairy wrasses, and that's part of what I'm doing for my PhD. So kind of went off on a tangent for a little bit, but I guess in in the coral reef setting, color, vision, uh, these are all really important for the daily lives uh, of our little fish friends, I guess.
0: Oh, that's awesome. I love the differentiation between like the males being the very beautiful aesthetic, like look at me sort of fish. And then the females are like, I'm here. I'm good. <laughs> I'm, I'm understated. Yeah. Um. So that's a really good segue into our first sort of category, which is effectiveness. So if you are new to the show, and this is your first time listening, um, we do rate and review animals out of 10 in different categories. Typically, in other episodes, we have focused on species. But since we're we're talking about wrasses a little bit more generally. We're going to zoom out a little bit, which we've done before. We talked about like tardigrades one time, which is like a whole entire phylum. So for effectiveness, if this is your first time listening, we define this as physical adaptations that let an animal do a better job at the things that it's trying to do or to like overcome the obstacles they face every day. So what would you rate? I know this is like a big question because we're talking about so many different types, like all the way from cleaner wrasses to parrotfish. But right. if you could give them a, a score out of 10, what would you give them for effectiveness?
1: That's a oh, it's just so tough. It's like
0: I know it's tough.
1: <laughs> I would say I would give the rasses in general a 9 or even a 10 because for one simple reason, you 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 cannot be the second largest and most successful group of marine fishes if you're not good at what you do and they're just so good at what they do. They, like I said before, um, there is a genus of races out there that specialize in anything that you can think of uh, when it comes to, to exploiting uh, novel kind of food guilds. Um, they also are really good at camouflaging, hiding from prey. There is a whole kind of subgroup of races called the Novaculines, and and even the julidines that they're just really good at living in sand so they go to sleep every night in in the substrate to avoid predators and then they're you know those that don't do that they produce really kind of elaborate mucus cocoons to kind of mask them from predators so they're just so good at what they do on the reef um living eating breathing Um, So I would give them a good nine or 10.
0: I can definitely see that. So with the ones that are like more flashy than others, is the purpose of that just to like get the attention of potential mates? Or does it help them at all with like camouflaging on the reef that they live in? Like, is there any sort of like cryptic value to that? Or is it just reproductive?
1: I think that's purely reproductive. So they do that for two reasons to attract females. And to display to other rival males and kind of you know water them off. It's kind of like a who has the bigger fins and who has the nicer coloration kind of thing. So it's a it's a really tight kind of arms race between males of each uh, species and also males of other species because they're always constantly fighting on the same reef for for the attention of, of females and and also other. Uh, other, other males in a way to ward them off and fight and, and them off um, and they only kind of really do this at a really specific time of day so if you were to see a fairy in on the reef most of the time they're kind of they're very colourful still but they're not really attention grabbing in, in, in a way where they, they do their dance so another allied genus which is actually the sister group to the, the fairy wrasses, are the flasher rassers and they, they, they take this up one level they're just really they're known for it I mean that's the name the common name flash harassers they just they really just go all out with their flashy colors and their behavior i guess in a way this is very attention grabbing uh and, and it makes them very vulnerable to predation but there are just so many of them on the reef and you know they only kind of really go all out a few hours before sunset and the rest of the day they're just kind of behaving like a normal fish kind of swimming close to the substrate um and they're not you know really prominently displaying the colors so i would say this is more kind of a a, a trait that's that's geared towards sexual selection and, and mate choice rather than uh, crypsis and camouflage. But then you also have a bunch of rasses out there that are just really, really good at camouflaging. One of the closely related general to the flesh and fair wrasses are what we call um, the cryptic rasses, so to speak, uh, from the genus Terragogus. And they're really kind of marble, greenish looking. They kind of look just like the seagrasses that they live in or the little reef matrices that they kind of hide in. So yeah, they're just so varied in that way. Everything that you can think of, there is a ras that, that that has just kind of fully embodied that.
0: <laughs> there's a ras for that.
1: There's a ras for that. There is a ras for that.
0: I love them, and you know what? I have seen. It wasn't too long ago. I think it was just a couple years ago. We were in Mexico, and we had the opportunity to go snorkeling, and we saw parrotfish. And this was my first time ever seeing a parrotfish, and I had never realized how beautiful their colors were right like the, a lot of different colors on there so and these are the parrot fish right so these are the, kind of like the bigger ones that mm. are just like munching down on algae and stuff like that so you mentioned that like their their beak is teeth yeah yeah that's pretty cool do the other rats like that are specialized for different things have other weird little specialized teeth like that, or do they have kind of more like normal fish teeth?
1: <laughs> so if you are interested in fish teeth and um, you know how rasses evolved to eat a bunch of different things, you should totally check out um, Corey Evans's Twitter account, so I think his at is um sternachella sternachella
0: yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, so you might have heard of Corey. He is the guy for morpho morphophysiology kind of stuff. And yes, I guess to kind of uh, go back to your initial point, ra- uh, the teeth of parrotfishes, they're actually a derived uh, trait. So all rasses have kind of, I guess you want to put inverted commas here, parentheses, normal teeth. But parrotfishes have evolved to have the teeth fused together into a beak, um, which really allows them to kind of get into rock and coral to get where the algae is and there are several other really important and cool adaptations um, in the RAS world when it comes to um, the evolution of their teeth. One uh, really cool thing about rasses is that they have very well developed pharyngeal teeth so they have teeth in their throats and they use it to grind up little uh, crustaceans and other stuff so um, one of the more um, I guess recognizable genus for some people are in are the laparasses races uh, and their scientific name literally just means big throat teeth uh macro means big uh, pharyngeal so that's the the teeth in your, your throat and then odon for teeth so big throat teeth and they have this large molariform uh there's one well a large molariform tooth on the pharyngeal plate which they use to kind of crush and grind up little bits of Prey that they eat, so they're they're mainly in invertebrate feeders. They they pick on little uh, shellfish and crustaceans in the sand and rock. Uh, and you also also have uh, things like anapses for example, the tamarind rasses, and they have very flat, forward-pointing, uh, chisel-like teeth, which they use to kind of pick and like kind of like a chisel. How 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 a chisel would work? They would kind of just pick and and chip away at, at rock and and you know really get in there to look for 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 invertebrate crustaceans and stuff definitely a big yes in terms of the variation in terms of teeth morphology
0: i'm gonna be real with you and and admit that the giant throat teeth is not my favorite thing i'm not <laughs> so crazy about that idea
1: <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds really it sounds really crazy but it's i'm telling you man that's where it is that's where it's at the rest is they're, <laughs> just, they're just so far out there and it's crazy because you don't see that the teeth you can't see that particular tooth on the outside because it's, it's nested inside the throats. And, and yeah, if you kind of like dissect it and, and, and take out the little pharyngeal plate. In fact, the pharyngeal plate is so important in RAS systematics because they're very character rich. And we use, we use the kind of morphology and the dentition to kind of allow us to classify and characterize uh, these different RAS groups um, just because that is such an important trait. Uh, among amongst the rest
0: so to be honest with you I am I have a, a phobia of fish like <laughs> it's I appreciate them I love them I think they're beautiful and I have a lot of respect and love for them but in when I'm sharing a space with a fish like if I'm in water where fish are any sort of situation where a fish could possibly come into physical contact with me I break down in a panic <laughs> it's like it's one of those weird irrational phobias and the giant throat teeth aren't helping <laughs> they're not helping
1: so luckily for you um on they don't get very big they get to maybe three or four maybe five inches and they're very very colorful super beautiful their common name is or rather are the leopard wrasses so a lot of them are very ornately spotted they kind of have the same pattern as uh, a lot of these beautiful jungle cats so they're very um uh, Spotty, and some of them have uh, really kind of complex uh, marbling on their on their on their bodies and fins. So. Very beautiful fishes, not scary at all. They are quite shy. They'll run away from you if you kind of approach them. And and they're one of the, the sand-burying wrasses, so they kind of duck into the little sand bed or, or, or rubble substrate and hide from predators if they feel scared. So nothing to be worried about. If I were you, I would be more worried about damsel fishes. They're, they're, they're really nasty.
0: I know this is a little off track. Is a damselfish fish a type of wrasse? I don't know anything. I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: no, they're from their own they're from their own family. Um they're they're from the family Pomocentridae, so not related to rasses at all. Uh, well, I guess all of them are kind of closely related in a, in a way. It Depends on how far back the tree you look at things from, but yeah, they're not rasses, no.
0: Okay, but these are the very rude ones that that maintain their little garden area, right?
1: That's right. Yes, <laughs> they're they're really rude.
0: <laughs> I, I've heard that they've heard that they're very aggressive, like disproportionate to their size.
1: They are. So they're remarkable because they're so small and they're so dainty looking, but they're just really such like pugnacious little things. They, um, Especially when they're nesting. So um, what you're describing is very accurate for uh, damsels that are nesting. So the mom and the dad will kind of grow this little algae patch that they protect uh, fervently. Um uh, and anything that comes by, even divers or even like small sharks even, they'll chase them away. They they're really kind of fearless in that sense. And that just blows my mind how a little fish can just be so belligerent.
0: I'm a big fan of packing a lot of attitude into a very small body. I like Yeah, this. well
1: if you like that kind of thing, then damsels are the fish for you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's perfect. So I, I'm yeah. glad we got to have at least a little mini detour for damselfish because I mm-hmm. find them really interesting. But so um, moving on to our next category to rate the rasses on, this is ingenuity, which is behavioral adaptations that let an animal solve problems that it faces on a daily basis. Or maybe like something that it does behaviorally that lets it like outcompete another animal. Kind of clever things that it does or strategies that it uses. So what would you give the rasses for ingenuity?
1: I would give them oh well oh, rating things is just' it's just not my thing it's so hard. They <laughs> are very good at, There are some rasses that are very good at um, being clever so I'm, I would give them a seven uh, And the thing that comes to my mind right away, are the the rock moverasses? Some of the novaculines. I can't remember the genus. I think novaculites. That's a genus. Yeah. So they're called rock moverasses because they literally physically flip over little rock uh, pieces of coral or, or, or pebbles and, and rocks to look for crabs and shrimp that are living or hiding under them. And they're really clever because they will kind of snoot around the little reef and flick. All these pebbles around causes a commotion uh, and stir up the sand. And other fishes will come and follow them from behind to pick up little scraps that they might have missed. So it's actually really fascinating to watch um, a rock mover wrasse moving rocks.
0: This is like tool use, right? They're, they're like using tools.
1: Yeah, almost. So if you have you seen that BBC documentary? Uh, I can't remember which one. It's called Blue Planet, I think. There is a scene where there is this uh, tusk fish, which is also a kind of wrasse. He takes a little clam or a little shell in his mouth and he swims towards this uh, coral bummy and he smashes that clam repeatedly against the side of the rock to break it up and then does that throughout the entire day until at the bottom of that coral bummy, it's just a collection of of open shells that he just smashes against the rock. Um, So I guess in a way, in a loose sense of the word, that is kind of a similar thing to tool use and, and, and wrestlers have been known to do that kind of thing, making use of their environment uh, to get to what they want. And so I guess that, you know, that that, that does count as, as ingenuity. And so I, I give them a seven, probably.
0: That's good. I was also thinking when you were mentioning the cleaner rasses, mm. I was thinking in my own sort of weird way that that is a sign of ingenuity because they have sort of made a truce with their potential predators, right? right. Like, right. they're kind of like, I'm providing you with a service that you want. I cannot protect myself from you. So instead, I will win you over. <laughs>
1: That is true. And it always, I, I remember growing up as a kid, I used to be so fascinated by looking at dive magazines and, and photos of, of big, you know, scary-looking predatory groupers and, and sharks with their mouth wide open and their teeth flaring at you. And then just this little tiny blue wrassell just kind of darting it out, picking at their teeth, you know, just living their, their lives unbothered. Um, that is just, for me, one of my fondest memories growing up. Yeah, and it's remembering being so in love with the ocean um, you know just the complexity of, of coral reefs and, and all the animals that live in and amongst them interacting with each other in their own special way it just blows my mind all the time um, and yeah the rest will bring me back to that little memory
0: are there any, like, predatory fish that will take advantage of the trust of the cleaner wrasse, or do they just kind of have, like, an unsaid rule, like, don't eat the cleaner wrasse?
1: In general, that rule is pretty, pretty solid throughout coral reefs, because this evolution of cleaning behavior is not it's not just found in the wrasses, it's found in, in gobies as well, as well as um, even, even non-fishes. So, like, there are a whole category of shrimps called cleaner shrimps, and they they basically do the same thing as they provide the same kind of ecosystem service. So I would say that this kind of truce is robust enough that fishes kind of leave the cleaners alone because the two things, right? It's it's so successful that, it's, that it has evolved multiple times independently across different groups of animals. And secondly, you are also now seeing animals that are not traditionally cleaners, copycat or act as copycats, following the colors um, and the patterns that these fishes have just to kind of exploit their skill. To prey on other fishes so very obviously this cleaning behavior is an important thing on the reef so i i I would say that under most circumstances fish tend to leave cleaners alone just because it's such a useful thing and and it's just been tried and tested so many times in the evolutionary history of fishes uh, that we know of
0: i have so much respect for their adherence to their own fish culture they have like fish societal norms i I know
1: i wish i was that good I'm a bit
0: <laughs> <laughs> we should model our human societies after some like coral reef uh yeah, style
1: we, do, yeah. we really should
0: <laughs> so our final uh category for our ratings is aesthetics which i think is pretty mm. straightforward and it's just how visually appealing the animal is and i also feel like it is maybe particularly well suited to a lot of the things that you do like on social media with the pictures that you're always posting of these beautiful rasses. so um i think i know what you're gonna say but what would you give the rasses for aesthetics
1: nah this is an easy one 15 out of 10 they <laughs> <We> are <Yes. laughs> And this is not me being biased. I mean, I do work on rasses and I do work on the most colorful groups of the rasses. But I would say that they are just so beautiful, not only in terms of coloration, but just in terms of like, just how morphologically diverse they are. You know, some of them are so fancy with the long trailing filaments and, and you know, big, robust kind of teeth. And they're just beautiful in every single possible aspect that you you can possibly think of. But yeah, I would say color definitely right up there. Ten, even above ten. They're just so colorful and and, and really just really just such dazzling creatures. I, I feel so lucky to be working on them. Um, I put up a Twitter post I think sometime last week of just man. Sometimes I get so jaded with research because you know it can be hard sometimes. But then I look at photographs of all these beautiful fishes that I get to work on, and I'm just so lucky that I have the privilege to to study these amazing creatures. Uh, and it just puts me back in my happy place. I guess, you know, yeah.
0: Oh, I love that. Yeah, the the pictures that you post are just so incredible. Um, sometimes I look at them and I'm like, wow, I had no idea colors like this could even be like produced by animals. You know, you get these like really incredible, vibrant, iridescent colors, and, and it's just really absurd almost. And then you said like there's some out there too that are more cryptically patterned, you know, they could be more like, I guess, tactically designed, right? They're, they're designed a little bit more for strategy than for uh, visual appeal.
1: Yeah, but yeah. even if you kind of average it across the whole family, Ras is still ranked. I mean, the ugliest rest is still very, very beautiful. I mean <laughs> in my in my in my very humble opinion. Yeah, definitely some of them are really cryptic. So there are some that literally look like seagrass. They're just green and even come with kind of like the brown bits of the edges of the fin, just to, you know, perfectly camouflage themselves in seagrasses. There are some that look like sand and rock, um, you know, things that they kind of want to look like because they live in those um, habitat terrains but they're just so subtly beautiful in their own little way as well. Yeah. I,
0: I feel you. I think you're right about that. Yeah. And it was like, you know, it, it, that was kind of how I like started following you and how I found out about like the work that you were doing was just with like how eye-catching the fish are, right? So I feel mm-hmm. like it's it's an effective way to get people's attention and, and get people interested and engaged in the work that you're doing. Like, not just with, you know, oh, look how pretty this fish is, but now, oh, let's look at how interesting and how beneficial this fish is and really like kind of explore the other things that are going on in the reef around it. So I like that they're kind of this tool that you can use to get people engaged and interested. And then there's so much more that's interesting about them when you get even deeper than how they look.
1: That's yeah. So it's interesting you say that because I I actually only started Twitter not very long ago, I would say maybe a year and a half or two years ago. And I really wanted this to be a platform in which I can engage people with uh, when it comes to research and 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 fishes and especially coral reef fishes because I just think they're so so stunning and you're right the rasses are just kind of like the perfect little attention grabbing piece that you sometimes need and, and and I've learned that over the last couple months and years that that people really love these these fishes and and, and can you blame them? They're so beautiful. And so this is a really good opportunity as a scientist and a science communicator or someone who's trying to be a science communicator to really kind of work with this particular aspect of, of, of my organism of choice. Um, and this is kind of how we we went in. So recently, I'm I not sure if you know about this, but last year we described a new species of fairy rats um, that we named Cerellabras Wakanda after the Black Panther um, movie in, in Marvel in the comic series. The common name was vibranium fairy ras, and we really want to kind of like to take this message all the way and to use that species kind of as as a spotlight to shine on on the rasses and also on the bigger context of coral reefs and how you know we can play a part in in protecting these ecosystems and you know just bringing the rasses and, and and fairy rasses and, and even and coral reefs in general to the to the forefront because I think that's that's such an important thing to do nowadays in in this you know in our current climate of climate change and and all these negative things that's happening with us every day. So yeah, I went off on a tangent there a little bit, but you know, the, the nice part about this particular group of fishes is that, yeah, they're really colorful and they really, they're really out there and they really send the message across to kind of protect them and just appreciate them for what they are.
0: Yeah, I did hear about the fish called Wakanda. I had heard about mm-hmm. that, and and I thought that was just a really, really cool idea. I really thought that was very clever.
1: Yeah, we we really. So yeah, I, I don't want to really go into it too much, but it, it was found. It, it lives in very deep mesophotic reefs in in Tanzania, Africa. And these habitats are really so poorly explored. I mean, my collaborator Louise from the California Academy of Sciences—he's one of the few people out there actually doing deep reef exploration—and uh, he told me that you know when he was collecting these barerasses, you know, even these habitats are so so isolated from humans. I mean, even he, he found he found plastic bags and and other trash in, in, in you know in in those kind of places, and it really it really hits home. Hey, that you know even you're a little rest and you're just living your best life in, in, in these secluded areas and there's just still trash there. So we wanted to really kind of use this uh, opportunity to kind of target it from kind of like a, a science, science communication perspective and just, you know, bring some attention to, mesophotic ecosystems and and the animals that live in it.
0: That's awesome. I'm I'm really hyped that you guys did that. So I, I think, first of all, it's really, really cool to be able to talk to somebody who got to name an animal. Like, I think that's awesome. But so other than, you know, working on naming new fish and stuff like that. So what kind of other work are you engaged in right now that you would like for people to know about?
1: So right now, I'm getting ready to submit a paper that kind of looks into the evolutionary history of, of the fairy races. So as you know, I work a lot on, on the fairy races, um, And so over the last couple of months, I've been running a bunch of analyses and writing up a big paper um, where we finally resolve um, the phylogenetic relationships of nearly all the fairy races. And so we looked at how they relate to each other, uh, when they originated, how fast they diversified, and, and just kind of like explore the evolutionary radiation of the fairy rasses and so that's kind of a project that i'm actively working on now that i'm getting close to submitting hopefully um and we also have a bunch of other new species papers that are coming out in the next month or two that's just been accepted so these are not fairy rasses but these are also rasses from the genus pseudogeloides pencil rasses and so we have four new species coming out uh, I'm also working on a hybridization paper on angelfishes, and that's been in review now at the Journal the Proc B. I'm not sure if that's going to be accepted yet. I don't know. But that's also a project that I'm currently actively involved in. So kind of different parts and different aspects of uh, coral reef fish evolution, I guess, in general. And I'm really excited for all of them because, you know, just, it's just a dream for me working with coral reef fishes. And I'm just really, really happy to be, to be doing what I, I get to do.
0: I feel like your enthusiasm for them is contagious because I'm starting to get more excited. (laughs) Like, just the the more hearing about them, the more excited I get about them. Like I said before, you know, I've always kind of been given the heebie-jeebies by fish um which is just a weird like I have no idea why it's just a weird uh phobia that I have mm-hmm. like you know some people can't deal with like snakes or spiders minus fish I don't know why I do feel like learning more about them helps you know like it it helps understand I don't know I guess I guess it just helps to to have a better understanding of you know what's going on with the fish you know what is its angle what what is its yeah. job what is its role so I feel like I'm definitely being pulled over to the team fish side. because yeah, fish. <laughs> I know I can't take, I cannot side with teams because we do like go over so many different <laughs> animals. But so y- you've been our first representative of team fish that we've yeah, had on the show. Yeah, yeah.
1: These, this kind of uh, team, very loosely team wars, just a fun way for scientists to kind of engage with each other and with the greater community. Uh, where we kind of showcase the best part, the best parts of of the animals that we work on. So I guess in a way there there really is no team because we're just all one big team science and team biodiversity. I guess and it's really incredible because you know we give a lot of flack for Team Bird, but Team Bird is incredible. I love Team Bird. They have probably just as much great content as probably more. I mean, there are more bird scientists out there. Content as, as, t- as team fish. And I guess, you know, back to where you're saying, there really is no team because we're all on the same team. But if you're kind of really struggling with finding ways to, like, you know, Get over your fear of birds, or get over your fear of fishes, or, 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 or insects, or whatever. what other kind of animals you can think of. You know, go on Twitter and get engaged with with, with Team Fish, for example, Team Bird, and and really just kind of appreciate all the great things about birds and fishes and animals and the people that you know provide these these facts and this knowledge. The great thing about Twitter is that it's such a just such a beautiful community where everybody can come come together and just appreciate you know animals from all walks of life and all corners of the earth and i think that's just what what's so beautiful about this whole team animal of choice here <laughs> <laughs> this whole thing that that we have going on here i think it's it's a really beautiful thing to have
0: I know it's very fun, and and I do appreciate you for for contributing so much to that. I feel like you have a big part in that, um, and oh, and it's been very um, you know delightful for me, but also helpful. And so, oh, and also, uh, I don't think we've mentioned it yet, but for anybody that is on Twitter that doesn't follow you, you can be found on Twitter as Kai the Fish Guy.
1: That's right. Yep. Yeah. So I I'm on Twitter and Instagram um, with the same handle, Kai the Fish Guy. I think on Twitter it's Fish Guy Kai because someone took Kai the Fish Guy. Oh, but no. if you search, yeah, it's because it's my it's my it's my username now, but it's not my at sign. So it's at Fish Guy Kai, but my name on Twitter is Kai the Fish Guy. So you'll find me either way. Um, <laughs> know, there's there's a real Kai the Fish Guy out there, and I really want to meet him. Say hi. <laughs> talk about fish together
0: spiritual twins
1: yeah spiritual twins
0: so i i feel like i have learned a lot about a really diverse group of fish that was underappreciated by myself um Mm -hmm. (laughs) like i it was like a lot of things that i had kind of like heard of in passing but never really Mm -hmm. like um sorry for the pun but i'd never dove into um (laughs) sorry i can't help it it's a it's a problem But thank you so much for sharing all this knowledge with me. This has been really amazing.
1: No worries, Alan. Thank you so much for having me as well. I can talk about wrestlers till the cows come home. There's uh, a thousand and one things to talk talk about. But, you know, it's always a pleasure to share just a little bit, just a little bit of that little iceberg that we're all kind of chipping away at um that's a horrible metaphor but you get what I mean you know you get what I'm trying to say
0: (laughs) I feel like you have recruited some people to the RAS fan club so me first of all but also I feel like everybody listening can can feel the love and the joy that you have for these fish and so I think it's I think it is infectious
1: yeah hey even if it's just one extra person you know we're happy
0: oh there you go that's what it's all about at the end of the day well I appreciate you so much for taking the time to talk to us thank
1: you for having me yep
0: Thanks. I'll see you later.
1: All right, have a good have a good weekend and stay safe at home.
0: Thank you. You too. All
1: right. See ya.
0: Bye.